Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here, as always, by Rich Rebar, TA. Guys, how you doing? Doing good. You know, the 4th of July just passed, we had a good holiday, and really, we're, what, two weeks out from training camp starting, and it's going to be here. Like, there's going to be preseason games, and we'll be in the season. We've, all, we've got a limited run here. All the quiet time is just about over. Yeah, and speaking of quiet time, I was telling these guys before uh, we got on air that I, I started uh, in the pandemic becoming more of a handyman around my house never had been and so i'm uh painting some things and trying to get some stuff done before training camp really uh starts running uh you know off and running so uh trying to get those things uh done around the house first so uh looking forward to uh to not doing that anymore and, and concentrating on you know uh betting lines and fantasy football and all that fun stuff so uh, i'm excited for the season to start rolling around here yeah, the honey to do list uh, gets put on the shelf in the fall, man. There's just nothing oh, yeah. we can do about it. Oh yeah, I went from uh, you know my wife letting me watch football all day Sundays from from like noon to eight p.m. Like that's my time. She let me do that. To now, I you know she's paying me back with a lot of Real Housewives and uh, all these uh, Bravo shows. So you know it's the that's the the price I had to pay, but I'm doing it. <laughs> Ah, the the long off season. Uh, but that's that's where we are now. We're kind of still in the thick of it. But as we do that, or you know, we're preparing for the season. Uh, like we've mentioned on the past couple podcasts, we've been hard at work at on the sharp uh 2021 football preview book and if you are listening to this uh sometime on friday hopefully uh this book should be out next week uh early next week so um be on the lookout for that if you go to sharpfootballanalysis.com right now you can pre-order it there's a free chapter on the dallas cowboys that is available to uh, download uh, right now if you go to the site so uh keep an eye out for that there's so much information uh in this year's book like we said all of us uh contributed uh, a little bit to it this year so be on the lookout as that uh, is going to be released next week. Um, so as we head into uh, today's podcast, we're still looking forward to uh, the 2021 season. Last week, we did a little bit of win totals, predicting some maybe, you know, long shots to make and miss the playoffs. Uh, and this week, we're going to do some, look at some seasonal awards. Uh, we're going to look at some MVP and Rookie of the Year, uh, some favorites, some long shots. So we're each going to just kind of go around and, um, you know, look at some players that we think uh, might have a shot to be coming out with those awards. So uh, I think let's start with Offensive Rookie of the Year. And TA, I know you have a, a bunch of, you know, in numbers and, and things and trends that are, are going to look at the typical type of player uh, who wins this award. Yeah. So I think it's always important whenever you look at these kind of uh, these awards, these futures um, to narrow down your pool of, of uh, possibilities to a more manageable list that you can really uh, dig in a little bit more. So um, in doing so, I, I went back and looked at, you know, historically, what are the types of players, what positions do they play or have they been picked um, that have won this award. And so uh, in the last 11 years, if you just uh, look back since um, 2010, uh, six, six have been quarterbacks, four have been running backs, and only one wide receivers. That was OBJ a handful of years ago. And it's interesting. Uh, so six quarterbacks the last 11 years have won this award. But prior to 2010, um, the quarterback had only won the award three times in NFL history, which is just crazy to me, right? It just shows you the shift in, you know, these guys playing right away. And, it's got to be games um, having, played. What's that? 
It's got to be games played. Yeah. Like, yeah. So just more, yeah, they're, they're playing earlier. And I think like, you know, the, the running quarterbacks have helped um, in terms of padding stats and all those sorts of things. So uh, it's been interesting from that perspective. And outside of Dak Prescott winning it in 2016, um, every quarterback who's won the war in the last 50 years has been eight of them. Um, they've all been top 11 picks and all but Big Ben and Dak Prescott were top six picks. So if you're going to look at quarterback, um, you know, the obvious guys are at the top. I mean, it's Trey Lance, it's um, obviously Trevor Lawrence, and it's um, uh, Zach Wilson. So those are the three guys, if you're looking at quarterback, to really concentrate on. And a lot of people are talking about Justin Fields, which is possible, but it's been very rare that a guy taken outside of the top 10 uh, at quarterback wins it. And then at running back, um, five of the 13 running backs, it's kind of an opposite story from quarterback. So five of the 13 running backs who have won it since 1995 have been drafted outside of round one. Um, but all uh, outside of Mike Anderson was a top three round pick. So if you're going to go kind of non first round quarterback, um, you feel free to look at some of the running backs that are, that are uh, drafted in the top three rounds. But, you know, outside of that, it's probably a rarity that you're going to find a guy, you know, in rounds four, five, six, seven, that um, is going to win this. So when you kind of filter all of that out, uh, like I said, it's really quarterback at the top of the top of the round, uh, the, the first round or, you know, running backs in the first three rounds are really the, the key positions for me. Obviously Kyle Pitts can win it, but we know that the tight ends struggle historically uh, in their first year, um, no matter how good they are. Um, you know, maybe Pitts is a different story, but you know, it seems uh, kind of a little bit out there that he could win based on some of the trends. And at wide receiver, same thing. I mean, look at Justin Jefferson had just a monster year last year, and he couldn't even win it because of uh, how good Justin Herbert was. So, um, you know, receiver and tight end are just just hard positions to win this award. So, the guy that I like, and which we did this maybe uh, you know a month and a half ago after the draft, um, is Javante Williams. Now, I had him at twenty five to one. Uh, back uh, after the draft, I wrote an article up on the the, the sharp site. Um, you know, he's down, I think, to, to 16 to one or 18 to one. You know, that's probably as low as I'd go. But I, I just think obviously, you know, I've been hammering Denver uh, in all aspects since since February. So, you know, I think they're going to be a good team, even if it's just Teddy Bridgewater and not uh, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Um, I think they have a better shot to win nine plus games. So you'll have more late leads to, to pad some of those, those numbers. You know, we know Teddy Bridgewater loves to check down uh, that that's obvious. Um, he's targeted running backs um, or he did target running backs at the high, seventh highest rate at 22% last year uh, when he played with Carolina. And then in 2019 was at 30% with the saints. So, you know, he's always going to check down. So, so Williams will be able to catch the ball out of the backfield, which will help him. Denver will face the second easiest schedule of opposing run defenses. When you look at um, DVOA run ranks from last year, they'll play nine games against teams ranked in the bottom 10, a DVOA run defense. So he's going to get the opportunities. I think he's a good player. I was PFF's top graded running back of the entire country last year. Uh, he ranked 10th in yards after contact per carry, second in missed tackles force per attempt. Um, and second in percentage of carries that ended up in a touchdown or a first down. He even broke the PFF record for broken tackles per attempt last year. So even if you don't think Denver's O-line is that great, you know, Williams has shown the ability to force missed tackles and break, break tackles on his own. So he doesn't need a great line in front of him. So all that being said, add that to the fact that, you know, I just don't think Melvin Gordon's very good anymore. And he may not even be on the team. I mean, he's carrying an $8.9 million cap, cap number this year. Broncos can't save a ton of money by cutting them, but they'll save two and a half million. And if he falls out of favor, maybe his agent 
you know, wants a new place for him if, if he's not, um, you know, the starter uh, early in preseason. I could see him being traded or cut. So uh, all that being said, I think uh, Williams is still a nice bet here. If you're not going to take one of the quarterbacks, uh, I think he's a good, uh, you know, a good guy to, to take at the double digits in terms of uh, rookie of the year. Yeah, so he is interesting. Like you said, I'm kind of looking at some of these, you know, the offensive line, that's going to be what probably hold you back for some of these guys. So I think like almost anyone we we talk about here, you look at, you know, the Steelers, obviously Najee Harris is going to be a guy talking about. Um, They, uh, Sports Info Solutions, 41.9% of uh, running back carries for the Steelers were hit at the line of scrimmage. Uh, For the Broncos, that was 41.7. That was fourth. So they're, you know, in the same category. But, you know, like you said, um, you know, I think uh, PFF just did a study about explosiveness and being able to break tackles are the things that are, um, you know, translatable that we have seen consistently translate from college to the NFL. So if you have a back who can break tackles, he's probably going to be able to do that uh, at the NFL level. So that is something where, you know, Javante Williams probably is going to be somewhere if he can, um, you know, be able to get some of those uh, the carries and be that lead back. I think that's that's something where you know he probably has longer uh, odds now because we we just don't know. Like you said, you know the Mel- whether Melvin Gordon is good or not. I, that's a question I think we've been asking for like years. Uh, it, that was certainly a question we asked before Denver gave him that contract last year, <laughs> and they still gave him that contract. They still gave him the carries when he was there. So um, that that's I just. You know, well, I, I think we've kind of just this is a bigger conversation about Denver that we've had where like there is a lot of talent there. I just like whether they're using it properly or they really, you know, know what they're doing in, in a way to get the most out of all of that. I think that that consistently is, is a huge question for me in, in the way that Denver is is running things, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I just gave you that, uh, you know, I would doing all that red zone work. And, you know, when I was going over Jerry Judy's red zone usage, I was like, what is this team doing? You know, Cortland Sutton didn't even play last year. He didn't even have a reception in the red zone last year. I'm like, what is this team even doing? Like, yeah, <laughs> going over all this stuff. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, de- I definitely there's a hurdle to climb because we like a lot of the talent <laughs> on Denver's offense. We just want to see if they're going to use it properly. Yeah, and I, I think with the broken tackle stuff, like I remember when Kareem Hunt was drafted, similar situation. I think it was a, th- a third round pick. Obviously, different offense, but um, you know he had a lot of those broken tackle numbers and those you know yards after contact were just sky high coming out of Toledo, um, and he produced right away. So, like I said, I, I think you know if you could get a guy like that, even if they don't have a great line, they're going to face. They have the easiest, you know, one of the easiest schedules in the NFL, um, and as I mentioned. I know they're facing a bunch of run defenses, which aren't great. You're going to face the Raiders twice. You're going to face the Chiefs twice, right? Right there, you got four automatics. Um, they face Detroit. They face a bunch of bad run defenses. Good team, bad run defenses. Um, ability to break tackles, like all that to me, just, uh, you know, whether they uh, are effective in the red zone or not, it's not that difficult to just hand the ball, go up the middle, right? Like even uh, Vic Fangio could figure that part out. So uh, maybe that lends itself more to Javante Williams. They don't get too creative in the red zone. Uh, but, um, yeah, like I said, if you're looking for a non-quarterback, I mean, it's easy to say Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson. This is like the easiest yeah. thing in the world. But uh, for me, I, I, I hate taking the easy ones. So that's why I, I wanted Williams. I'll let you guys say, if you, if one of those quarterbacks, you know, we're, we are all Trevor Lawrence fans. We were talking before the pod. 
you know, we're doing the Scott Fishbowl draft and we all own Trevor Lawrence and we're all big uh, <laughs> fans of his. So, I mean, I, I think that's probably, he's probably a overwhelming favorite to win this, but you know, you don't get the best bang for your buck, I guess uh, any injury or any sort of a mishap and, you know, you're kind of wasting some money there with, uh, with such low odds, but uh, that, that was just my thought there. Yeah. I mean, with such a quarterback, this, this quarterback class was so highly touted coming into this, you know, off season uh, to not pick a quarterback, I think would be for a quarterback not to win this, you know, one of these five guys uh, seems to be like kind of a, a stretch, right? Like we're all kind of expecting a quarterback to win this award, but we know we're kind of having some fun on this podcast and, you know, the Dan Marino is the last quarterback to win it with fewer than 12 starts in his rookie season. So that kind of puts kind of the, that roadblock on Lance or fields, you know, the, the hurdle that they have to climb as opposed to Wilson's we, and, and include Mac Jones in that too. We don't exactly know right now, have a really strong feel for when those guys will start. I think fields has the, best odds those three to start early maybe mac jones as well if cam newton keeps throwing these passes like we're seeing in these training camp videos um but you know we don't want to pick chalky quarterbacks i was ready to come out and like then say kyle pitts is going to be the first tight end to win it he's got the second bet lowest odds he's behind lawrence uh yeah, like so the not, odds matter here <laughs> it's not even fun that's not even fun like i was like ready to be like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna plant my flag in the first tight end ever winning the award and he's got the second highest odds. i was like oh yeah. man this is even fun uh, so I wanted to throw a long shot and I, I'm going to go with the, with the wide receiver. Like you said, I shouldn't, you know, Odell was the last guy to win it. Only five have won it since 1990. Uh, Carl Pickens, Randy Moss, Anquan Bolden, Percy Harvin was the other, other four. Uh, but I'm going to go with Jamar Chase, uh, you know, where he's sitting. He's at the tied for the seventh, uh, in, in odds. Uh, we did just see Justin Jefferson have that season. And like I said, kind of in context of these quarterbacks, it's going to be hard for anyone else to win it. But I uh, look at this fit. He's going to walk right into, obviously, the, the shower narrative with Joe Burrow. But he's a guy that can win downfield. And I just look at what this – Bengals team did last year with the role AJ Green was in. Uh, Burrow targeted AJ Green at 19% of his passes. They connected on just 45%, uh, 4.7 yards per target targeting AJ Green, uh, targeting other Bengals options. Burrow completed 73% of his passes, uh, 7.4 yards per target, 12 touchdowns. Downfield throws. Burrow gets knocked for how bad he was downfield, but he was actually pretty league average targeting anyone outside of AJ Green. Um, he and AJ Green connected on just three of 27 targets on 15 yards or further uh, downfield targets. He was 21 of 47 targeting anyone else. 44.6% uh, uh, league rate was just a little over 47%. So he was, you know, right there, like with, with league average, just not targeting AJ Green. Uh, so I'm just looking at the the fit. We know that they're going to run three wide receivers, basically among the league's highest rate. He's going to walk right into a 19, 20% target share. Wide receivers that have been taken in the top five average of 20% team target share as rookies uh so i mean he's kind of the guy i say like if i'm not going to pick one of these quarterbacks which is pretty chalky uh he'd be the guy i wanted to really stump for kyle pitts but it's not even fun yeah i mean kyle pitts is gonna have a good year but again how, how, what does he have to do can he get a thousand yards you need a thousand yards right and probably 10 touchdowns yeah. to even compete and that's just so hard for rookie tight ends to do so you know he could be really good and eventually be a great player but um, right off the bat, that's just just is so hard to do. Yeah, I mean, plus seven fifty. Lawrence is plus three hundred. These have already changed in the week. We kind of were going to do these. Uh, so, I mean, if you all do want to bet these, I would encourage getting on them. Uh, you know, pretty early. Yeah, I mean, I to making the. I mean, I'm looking at DraftKings right now. Kyle Pitts is plus eight hundred. So that's uh, 
somewhat nice. That's actually, as I'm looking right now, behind Lawrence, Harris, Lance, and Fields. So if you want to, you know, think about that, that's, we kind of make the case. But like you said, I mean, you'd have to probably have a thousand yards, a lot of touchdowns. It's it's very hard to do. So I am, uh, you know, let me go here uh, 20 minutes on why Mac Jones is going to win this. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, What an amazing turn that would be after some of our uh, podcasts uh, earlier. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, we've kind of hit all the guys. Like I, it, it's weird. Like I, I want to do something for doing long shots. Like I, I really want to make a case for Elijah Moore, which would be super fun. If you hear seen any yeah. reports from Jets camp, um, Elijah Moore has been like easily the best wide receiver there. Um, he's been uh, making a lot of plays. I think they're going to use him in the slot. They're going to use him outside. Uh, he's just been making plays all over the place right now. He's plus 4,000 uh, on DraftKings. Uh, I think the only problem is, is if Elijah Moore has a really great yeah. season, Zach Wilson probably also had a pretty yep. good season and that will uh you know kind of i think either influence the vote to go toward zach wilson or they're cannibalize each other uh in the vote a little bit and i think that's the same thing if you wanted to look at like michael carter um who's plus mm-hmm. you know 3300 right now on DraftKings. um I, I don't think the jets defense is going to be quite good enough for them to be running the ball uh quite as much as you know uh a Shanahanian scheme would like to. Um, so I think that, you know, would probably put you toward a Wilson or Elijah Moore. I think there's still, you know, uh, a scenario where Wilson struggles and Elijah Moore is still quite good. Uh, but that is probably not going to be, um, you know, as obvious for the voters. Uh, one of the other things, like I, you know, the, the two, other Alabama receivers, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, uh, plus thirteen hundred, plus sixteen hundred right now. I, you're going to be looking at those guys. I mean, they they might be the team's you know top receivers. Devontae Smith definitely is going to be. Like as we said on the last episode, I spent a lot of time with the the Philadelphia Eagles and trying to figure out what was going on there. Um, you know, I think Smith is going to be heavily involved. So if there's a wide receiver there, I think that might be the guy to do it. Um, even though you know Jamar Chase was the you know the more highly drafted guy, he has Burrow. Uh, but I think when you look at you know T Higgins and Tyler Boyd, there might be a more of a spread there. I'm not sure if the Eagles have that, right? You look at what they, they want all these receivers to be good, which you know, we mm-hmm. also have, have talked about, but you know, Jalen Rager didn't really do a lot and didn't show as many flashes. Um, as I was looking into, you know, JJ Arcega Whiteside, was like one of the most disappointing second round pick receivers like ever. He has uh, like 14 receptions through two years. And that's one of the lowest um, for any uh, second round wide first or second round wide receiver uh, through two years. So that's like insane to me. So the, the Eagles are going to have to throw a lot. So I think I'm not sure how much on a ledge I'm, I'm going here by saying the reigning Heisman trophy winner could be a, a dark horse uh, offensive rookie of the year candidate. But I think Devonte Smith at, uh, at plus 1300 probably I wouldn't be surprised if if he looks he gets the most you know looks uh, for this receiving class. Um, well, let me. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention two two longer shots that that I would think about. I think Trey Sermon's kind of in that class. If you're looking for longer longer shot, um, he's thirty three to one. I think on DraftKings right now. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a guy that obviously steps into it. Just a, a really good team, great Shanahan offense. If if he is the man, and but uh, you know he could put up some huge numbers in that offense. Um, and you, you'd probably have to avoid Trey Lance being the quarterback there for, uh, for you to win this, but 
you know, if Garoppolo is the quarterback and, and Sermon's running behind that line and that system, I mean, it could be, you know, awesome, awesome uh, season for Sermon. I've drafted him in um, the one draft I've done so far. Um, so I like him as, as a guy at 33 to one. Um, and then the other one, this is a really long shot again. If you're going to kind of go off the board, I think Terrace Marshall Jr. Um, in that offense. Could be really good. Yeah, that's 50 to one, but you know, the odds are really low that again, wide receiver, you don't see it often, but he's got the talent and you know, that, that Joe Brady system could put up big numbers. It's all obviously dependent on uh, what happens to Sam Darnold, but that's a guy deeper, deeper down the board. But those are a couple, I think that, that I think we hit on all the, the big ones um, really that have a shot there. But um, I, I think Sermon, like I said, now that Williams has kind of gotten a lot of love, you know, as I said, I had a 25 to one and he's down to like, 18 and 16 to one uh, the next best for me might be sermon um, among the non-quarterbacks but um, and you know I, who knows what Shanahan's going to do I mean historically he's always had uh, I'm sure uh, you got numbers on this rich but it's always been a crowded backfield even going back to his Cleveland days you know just always splitting time you never it's always a timeshare so you'd, you'd need uh, Mostert to be hurt or not play you'd need you know, Sermon to really step up and be the man to get 20 carries. And, you know, historically, you don't see that from Shanahan. But, you know, um, if that happens, he's definitely going to vault up there. Yeah, Shanahan's he's been a play caller for 12 seasons where he's been with the same team back-to-back years and just three times as the same player led the team in rushing back-to-back years. Uh, not Nine different backs have led the team in rushing those seasons. So it's definitely, you know, an open book on, like, who could definitely, you know, carve out and be there. Some of it's injury-induced, like you said. Some of it's more just, like, what he's been given. You know, he's he's been in a lot of spots where he's been given just, like, a lot of lower-round draft pick guys, and he's made the most of it. Uh So they did trade up for him. You know, it's been a a pretty big indicator that like running backs that do get traded up for and Javante Williams also falls in that same category. um, Do you get more usage than, than guys in that area of the draft uh, that don't get traded up for? So another indicator for him that he could get some more used to. All right. So now that we've successfully made the case for every Every offensive rookie, who's coming, it's going to be a quarterback. (laughs) It's just going to be a quarterback. So yeah, it's just going to be Trevor Lawrence. So this was, it's a fun exercise, guys. Um, so yeah. let's let's uh, move on. I, I think the, the much more interesting conversation is going to be with defensive rookie of the year because that can kind of go all over the place, especially uh, when you look at odds. So, uh, T.A., where, where should we be looking for a defensive rookie of the year? Yeah, so uh, as compared to the offensive side of the ball, which you can really narrow down the field, it's a little bit different on the defensive side. Um, historically, you know, we've seen winners kind of come out of you know, the, the edge rushers, the tackle linebacker, cornerback kind of spread out nicely um, since 1995, 36% of the, the defensive rookie of the years have been edge rushers, 12% defensive tackles, 40% linebacker, 12% corner. So kind of all, all those positions are covered since 2010 though. Um, it's been a lot more uh, equitable and edge rushers are starting to, to kind of pick up the pace here. Um, and interestingly, every edge rusher since 1995, who has won the award has come from the first half, uh, the top half of round one. So top 16 pick, um, uh, for every edge rusher who's won it, which really shocked me. Like I didn't realize that, you know, none of these kind of uh, late first round or even second or third round edge rushers have even won this award. So, um, which is funny because this year, I think, um, Jalen Phillips is the, the highest drafted edge rusher and he wasn't even a top 16 pick. So that, that kind of, uh, you know, throws a little curveball here uh, when it comes to that. Uh, but digging even further, 22 of the, the last 25 defensive rookie of the years 
have come from round one. And the only guys, the only three players to win the award outside of round one were linebackers. So, you know, that's pretty interesting that it's, it's really just, um, you know, it's a top two round award and it's really a, a top half around one award for the most part, especially when it comes to Ed Rusher. So, um, you know, I think that's pretty interesting. And, you know, quarterbacks are really hard to pick because you need, um, it's not that. just, you it's not, yeah, it's not just a shutdown. It's you need interceptions, you need fumble recoveries, mm-hmm. you need touchdowns. I think the last two Marcus Peters and Marshawn Lattimore to win it, um, had multiple uh, return touchdowns. So that's just impossible to predict. Um, so I, I would be, you know, I love JC Horn, but I, I just can't pre- predict that any, you know, either him or Sertan or any of these guys drafted high uh, can do that. So I just kind of toss cornerback out of the window. Um, and again, as I mentioned, edge rusher, you know, who do you pick from edge rusher when there's really no, there was no dominant guy to go high in the draft. There's no Joey Bosa. There's no Nick Bosa or Chase Young. A shout out to all the Ohio State guys uh, that have won it the last couple of years. You know, so so I, I'm going to go off the board and look at one of the the round two linebackers um, who could you know rack up uh, a bunch of tackles. I'm going to go with Nick Bolton um, with the Chiefs, and so he's out of Missouri. Um, he's sitting right now. I'm looking. Um, I'm looking at drafting. Oh, wow, he's down to twenty to one. I mean, I wrote this article. Back. He was thirty three to one last week. Uh, he was thir- oh, really? And so he was 33 to one when I wrote, wrote this article uh, initially uh, about six weeks ago. So that's crazy. He's got a lot of love. Maybe he's, he's getting some, I don't know if he's getting some preseason hype, but so the reason I, I went with him just because he's a middle linebacker with the chiefs, you know, big, they're going to be on TV a lot. He's going to rack up a lot of tackles because teams like to run the ball on the chiefs. Um, and he's going to be the middle, middle of that defense. He's going to most likely start. I mean, the incumbent is Anthony, Anthony Hitchens, who's a, a veteran who's been really, really bad the last two seasons. He was graded as a 69th and 85th uh, ranked L, uh, linebacker by PFF the last two seasons. They can, the Chiefs can save $6.4 million by cutting him um, right now. So uh, if he starts to show some, some promise, I think, in training camp, uh, look out for um, Hitchens to get cut and Bolton to just you know, uh, step right in and, and be your starting middle linebacker. So I think he's going to rack up a ton of tackles now. Can he get sacks? Can he, can he pick up, uh, you know, an interception or two or a fumble recovery? That's really what he's going to need to win this award. But um, I think the the stats from, from a tackle perspective will be there. We saw Darius Leonard win this a couple of years ago, purely based on, I think he either led the NFL or he was top three in tackles. Uh, that's really what you're going to have to look for here. But, you know, the Chiefs are going to be facing a ton of run-heavy offenses um, when you look at the Browns and the Ravens and the Titans and Ezekiel Elliott with Dallas, and you know that the Giants are going to give Saquon Barkley a lot of carries. So he's going to get tons of opportunities to get, um, you know, double-digit tackles per game. And so I think that's a guy, you know, again, off the board a little bit. Uh, it's interesting that he's, he's picking up some steam from uh, from the market, but um, 20 to 1 is uh, still a pretty good number. I mean, a couple of the guys I'll just, just mention, I mean, if you're looking at edge rushers, you know, Peyton Turner at 25 to 1, he was drafted late in the round one by – by the Saints, I liked him pre-draft. He was he he looked really good from a um, uh, analytics perspective when it looks at you know something when you look at the Spark score and PFF grades. Um, he's a guy who's at twenty-five to one, and then you know maybe uh, I, I don't want to take uh, Dan's guy, but maybe Aziz Ajalari. That was uh, my guy. To, yeah, he's down to sixteen to one. So again, not not a ton of value, but um, he's a guy who can step right in and you know pick up double-digit sacks potentially. So those are just a couple of names uh, I was thinking of, but uh, um, to me, uh, I like Bolton from, you know, a little bit longer shot perspective. I had two guys written down there, Bolton and, and Ojolari. 
Uh, Ojolari, because like you said, uh, you brought up all the numbers earlier, and all those guys are at the top of the board this year. You know, Quiddy Pay, obviously number one is well, J- is Jalen Phillips number one? No, it's all it's still Michael Parsons, right? Michael Parsons is still yeah. Michael Parsons and Jamin Davis are five. Yeah, are one and two. Um, it's interesting because this was such a it wasn't a rich defensive class at all this, this year. So, you know, we might, if, if there is a class that's going to throw one of these oddballs, it probably would be this one. And if we're going longer shots, uh, I had Bolton and Ojolari written down. I, I like Ojolari because he was the number one graded pass rusher by a number of outlets. Uh, a lot of people had him as a locked in first round grade. And then the medical stuff came out and kind of pushed him down. I think he probably would have been a first rounder, but then when you look at these other guys that have won this award recently, they've all kind of landed in spots around like defenses that allowed those guys to kind of just be one-on-one and kind of do work. I mean, you look at last year, you know, Chase Young, he, obviously we, we know the rich history of first round picks that were drafted on, on Washington in recent years, Bosa the year before gets to play along the same thing, a similar offensive line where there's a, a defense defensive line there's a ton of equity sunk into it and that's what's going to happen with Ojolari I mean they've got two dominant defensive tackles and Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams that are going to allow him to just be kind of one-on-one he led the SEC in sacks last year he led the SEC in tackles for loss last year and he was the highest uh, graded pass rusher uh, from PFF last year entering the draft he just fell because of knee stuff so I mean I already talked about the Giants defense kind of last week I think that they're going to be good well, at least better than Dan thinks they're going to be or wants to believe they will be uh, but I, I mean like you said we're just looking for guys to get counting stats and um, he's a guy that could have like tricky sack numbers because he's going to be out there rushing the quarterback basically with one-on-ones so we'll see if it translates to any of those counting stats as a kind of a deep dart uh, yeah, so I was going to bring up Ojolari too. So this is a, a clean sweep, which means uh, he's not winning this award. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of like you said, I, I think I wrote about this uh, uh, right after the draft. We talked about it. His fit in the Giants defense is fantastic. He's exactly what they need uh, for a team that does not have a good edge rusher uh, right now. But he's also this guy who can you know do kind of a lot of things. He's what they event like wanted Lorenzo Carter to be, except a guy who's, you know, better at playing football. Um, I think when you look at Ojalar, like like you said, you know, eight and a half slash last year, uh, 12 and a half tackles for loss. So this is a guy who's consistently in the backfield for forced fumbles. Um, and forced fumbles are, are a thing that are also, you know, translatable that it is a skill to force fumbles, uh, not quite a, a skill to recover them. But if you're able to hit the ball out, that's something that's probably going to, you know, continue to carry with you. Uh, so he is a guy who's able to knock that ball loose. Um, on straight dropbacks, uh, he had uh, 25% uh, pressure rate, uh, which was second in the draft class behind uh, Pay last year. So he has that. But also one of those other things, when you look at, you know, what Patrick Graham and the Giants are going to be doing, when you you, know, you mentioned, you know, Dexter Lawrence and, and Leonard Williams, a lot of the times last year, they were using those, those three interior line defensive fronts. They were using some of those, you know, tight fronts that we're starting to see uh, creep into the NFL more from college. Uh, so if you have, you know, uh, those two guys, and you know uh, either you know uh, Danny Shelton or uh, BJ Hill who are going to be on the line you're using these outside linebackers as guys who can do both be the edge rusher and drop back into coverage and that's what Georgia uses a lot so Ojolari was just rushed on 78 percent of his pass snaps last year he was only in a three-point stance in 58 percent of his pass snaps last year so he's a guy who's going to be able to drop into coverage uh, and be a little bit so you can have some of those you know open field tackle numbers you can have some more passes defense 
defense uh, from him. So I think he's going to be just this jack of all trades. And if you see a guy uh, who is going to be able to put up a whole bunch of numbers in in a a couple of different areas, uh, he's going to rush the passer. He's going to be in coverage. I think he's probably... um, you know, he's, he's going to get playing time because there's just there's no other options for the Giants. So if, if you're looking at something like that, where the opportunity is going to be there, uh, I think uh, Ojolari definitely has that. The thing, like, I, I don't get the Mika Parsons and, and Jamin Davis numbers here. I mean, I, I know they were the, the two highly drafted linebackers in this class, but those are two picks that continue to just kind of mystify me a little bit of why they were even made um you know we know why the cowboys did it they just were they got boned (laughs) well dan i mean here's the thing you're looking at you talked about before you're looking at from a football perspective right not from an award perspective like we think from a a football perspective taking linebacker for example that high doesn't make a lot of sense and i agree but from a an award standpoint that you know those guys could rack up a bunch of tackles and right but even for those guys i'm not like are they gonna play like that often where where does Mika Parsons fit in right now? I, I don't think he's going to be like their, you know, they, they played a, a lot of base uh, last year, but, you know, when you're going in with how many other guys, whether it's, you know, putting Jalen Smith, who is, you know, not as bad as Cowboys fans, like want to believe he is, um, you know, he still has some ability there. You know, they're probably going to rush Mika Parsons uh, a little bit, but, um, and you still have, you know, Leighton Van Der Esch when he's healthy, I guess. I just, I think that's a little jumbled. And, and for Davis too, like I also wrote the Washington chapter for the football outsiders almanac. And, you know, when you look at, you know, uh, John Bosick, who's, you know, not as good as, you know, some of these other guys, but he was on the field for like 99% of, um, you know, Washington's defensive snaps last year. I don't think that completely goes away. I think, you know, Davis has rotated in a little more. Uh, when you look at a guy like Cole Holcomb, he's really good. Um, I don't think they're going to take him off the field uh, as much. So I- I'm not sure if these guys who like would be um, looked at as the guys who are going to get a lot of tackle numbers, whether they're going to be like the plug and play starters that that we would think they were because of the draft capital. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would never take any of those guys, especially at these odds. Um but I think I think the betters are just like myth like we are. Like there's just not a lot of, you know, as, as Rich mentioned, this wasn't a, ta- a defensive um, rich draft. And so it's like, well, who do you go with? So I, I think people are just kind of leaning towards the um, the guys that they think are going to just rack up the, the easiest stats and this, you know, the middle linebackers. But like you said, they may not even get the, the chance to do that. So, um, you know, I, I agree. I wouldn't take those guys at sub 10 to one. That's kind of crazy to me. Um, so that's why I like the, like the Bolton and some of the other options that if you can get, um, some of the other linebackers round two that you think are going to step in, you know, at 25 or 30 to one, kind of that range, that that's where you want to look for. Um, you know, some people have talked about Jalen Phillips, you know, he was the highest edge rusher drafted. Uh, Miami's going to have a good defense supposedly, although I think there's tons of regression coming their way in defense. That's a, that's a topic for another day, but, um, you know, he's a guy that, that people are, are kind of banking on. You know, I'm not sure. Um, he's got those concussion issues we talked about uh, during the draft. Um, who even knows if he could finish the year? So he's not a guy that I would take very high here. Um, so doesn't leave a lot uh, left on the table. And this could be a season where it bucks all the trends and we see someone, you know, that don't fit some of the, the, the trends that I mentioned earlier um, and someone off the mm-hmm. board that kind of steps up. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, it really is going to be interesting. How, if we're looking at, 
uh, quickly before we move on to uh, MVP, uh, how we feel about Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa? He kind of fits some of that. He's in the range of the Parsons and the Davis right now. Looking at DraftKings is eight to one. Um, you know, he's a guy that might be able to you know fit in playing time. He's going to be this you know coverage. Uh, the hybrid uh, type of linebacker uh, oh. in that Browns defense that uh, I think all of us think is going to be, you know, pretty good. Um, so I think if I was looking at one of those highly drafted linebackers, uh, he might be where I, I would go. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be like a Jack of all trades. He's more of like a hybrid. So I don't know if he's going to rack up the tackle numbers that you'd want. I mean, he, he's athletic enough. He's a playmaker. So if he could get a couple interceptions, a couple fumble recoveries, maybe get a return TD. Like that's where you're going to see a guy like that, you know, potentially shine um, and step up. And, but his odds have dropped too, right? Like they're, they're not long shot odds either. Um, yep. And so I think a lot of people are expecting that, but he's going to step right into that defense. It's just a matter of for this award, you either got to somehow pick up a lot of sacks um, or really you need counting you know, stats. Yeah. You got to get a lot of counting stats. So you know, I'm not sure if JOK is the guy for that, uh, unless he, like I said, he just turns it over. Like he, he has like a Jeremy Chin type of seasons where a season last year where, I mean, Chin wasn't, I guess, great on the field necessarily from a pass coverage perspective, at least according to some of the numbers, he was just all over the place in terms of getting fumble recovery. I think he had multiple fumble recoveries for touchdowns and, um, you know, he, he was kind of creating turnovers. That's where you would need a JOK to really step up here uh, to win the award, but it's really a counting stat. Uh, counting numbers uh, type of awards. So that's where it gets difficult. Yeah. And this is the thing, like, I, I like a lot of the corners, you know, in this class, like all the, the top corners, the horns, the Sertans, even, uh, you know, Greg Newsom, Eric Stokes, uh, Asante Samuel. I think these are all going to be good players, but just you, you can't bank on them having good coverage. And we just, we don't have good coverage numbers. Um, you know, when do you, you know, look at that, or at least widely uh, available or, you know, widely accepted uh, coverage numbers uh, outside of, you know, passes, defense, and the interception. So uh, it's just, it's such a hard uh, thing to do. Um, while we do that, let's move on to our, our last one. Let's uh, let's look at league MVP. Uh, we've talked about rookies, but uh, let's let's talk about the guys who uh, have probably uh, been around a while. Uh, and let's uh, head into uh, some some of the favorites are, I think, guys we are expecting. Uh, let's look at some long shots. Uh, TA, wh- where should we be going with MVP? Hey, gone. <laughs> you're muted if you're talking. Oh, shoot. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, MVP is really straightforward. Eight straight and 13 of the last 14 winners have been quarterbacks. Uh, Adrian Peterson's the only non-quarterback to win the award in the last uh, 14 years. So, you know, Obviously, this is a quarterback award only, so only look at quarterbacks. Um, those 13 quarterbacks um, in the last 14 years that won this award were on teams that averaged 13 wins per season, um, and none were on a team with fewer than 11 wins. Uh, so obviously, not only do you have a quarterback, but you got to be a quarterback on a team that is essentially a Super Bowl contender, uh, or you think is a Super Bowl contender. Um, and then the lowest preseason win total for any of these quarterbacks to win MVP since 2000 uh, was seven and a half. And that was uh, Matt Ryan with, with the Falcons in 2016. Um, you know, and lately between Ryan and Mahomes in 18 and Lamar in 2019, we've seen a decent run of, t- of uh, quarterbacks who've won this award in kind of that middle tier of uh, kind of preseason forecast. So those, those three guys were on teams that only had win totals of seven and a half to eight and a half. So they kind of jumped out of nowhere. So, you know, don't, um, 
think that this is only the 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 guys that are on teams with uh, you know double digit uh, win totals uh, to win this award. I mean, there are guys in that kind of middle tier, but don't look further down below that seven and a half to eight number. Uh, you're not going to find uh, many that have a shot here. So um, when you do that, there's 20 teams that have win totals of at least eight, um, and then within those teams, you know, there's a handful of quarterbacks you know, that really have no shot. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is not winning this award, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though we think he's a good quarterback and is underrated, he's not winning this award. Neither has Ben Roethlisberger. So that really leaves about 17 quarterbacks in the pool um, that ha- at least have a kind of, you know, legitimate shot to win. So, you know, I'm not really going to go too crazy here. Um, I-, I think I have two picks. One is Kind of at the higher end of the board, Russell Wilson. Now, I liked him when he was closer to, I think it was 18 to 1 last week. Now he's down to 14 to 1, so he's getting a little bit more love. Um, I was surprised. I mean, he was like eighth or ninth on the board for a while. And this is a guy that was leading the MVP race, you know, the first half of last year. I mean, he was, how many times did we hear about, oh, he had not received a single MVP vote in his career? And then he cut, came out and they let Which Russ is the worst cook. argument and, ever because, guys, you only get one vote. <laughs> Right, exactly. No, it was yeah, dumb. Yeah, it's the dumbest thing we do every I year. It, it, but it was like that's the the narrative. This is a narrative award too. So he was leading. I mean, he was winning this award, and then they kind of fell off a cliff, and we know all about that. So I, look, I'm going to go back to that. Well, um, I think uh, you know he's got another weapon with Dwayne Eskridge and whatever, you know, some, some people don't think that he's, um, he should have been drafted where he was, but it's just another weapon. He's a, he's a, a great yards after the catch guy. Um, led the, don't you shade all. Gerald Everett? <laughs> yeah. Well, Gerald Everett's not bad either. Right. He actually has a tight end that can, that can, uh, um, catch the ball and he's got some athletic ability. So he's got a lot of weapons. Uh, so anyway, it's not, I don't like taking, you know, obviously Mahomes and, Josh Allen are the, the favorites along with Aaron Rodgers. I don't think Prescott, uh, it's hard to come back that soon. Tom Brady, obviously it's an easy narrative award, but um, you know, and then Matthew Stafford's up to 16, the one, like, I just think that I, that's a little bit too much at this point. So I think Russell Wilson, I think Lamar at 18 to one, those are two. And then I think the longest shot now, this, this number has really moved uh, to a, um, he's at 40 to one. Now I was talking about him at 66 to one, uh, about three, four weeks ago. So he's really gotten love. I don't think I would take him at 40, but um, if you could find kind of 50 plus to one, he's a guy that I would look at just because he fits a lot of the narrative. I mean, Miami, you know, it has a win total of, you know, over nine. Um, they should be at least in the playoff hunt, but they've got a shot to win 11, 12 games. It's not unrealistic for them to be really good. Uh, they play in a weaker division. Um, you know, he's, he's got the pedigree. He's a top 10 pick. He didn't play well last year. He's coming off that major hip injury and, um, you know, didn't have an off season to work with. So, you know, it was a tough situation, but, you know, not a great offensive line, not a lot of weapons. Now he's got Jalen Waddle. He's got Will Fuller. He's going to have a full off season to obviously totally heal up. He's got um, the ability to, to finally study the playbook, which he apparently didn't last year. So all those things are kind of on his side. Um, and you know, again, they fit the narrative of could be a good, you know, uh, playoff playoff team that can win 11, 12 games. So uh, I think of all the off the board guys, he was the one that I would look at 40 to one is probably not good enough at this point. I think you did, if you could shop around and find a 50 to one plus, I think you got better odds, but he's the one, um, kind of longer shot that I was thinking about. Yeah. I'm still seeing him at 66, uh, on DraftKings. So um, oh, I'm looking right now at it. It's 40, unless I'm looking at something different, but. Um, yeah, if you could find the 66, it's great. <laughs> it's even better. 
yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I've talked about Tua uh, quite a bit. I, I'm on board there. And, you know, obviously a long shot. So I'm not saying he's, you know, the favorite, but uh, expecting, I'll probably write about this on the site for some, a bunch of these year two guys, uh, which I did last year looking at uh, the, the year two uh, quarterbacks uh, heading into, you know, their second season. I remember, you know, watching that and, thinking that Drew Locke was not very good. Uh, and, you know, that turned out to be right. I've watched a lot of what Tua has done. I think there is going to be, uh, you know, if not, you know, not necessarily league MVP level, but I think that Dolphins offense is going to be so much better, just so much more spacing. Um, you just had guys that, you know, weren't getting open um, uh, last year. They just they couldn't. That just wasn't really their game. You look at, you know, as much as we like the, the Lynn Bowdens of the world uh, when he is sometimes going to be, you know, your number one receiver uh, a couple of games last year when they were going through injuries, that's, that's not going to make anyone look good. Um, so uh, the, the one that I, I think has been the, the very strong narrative driven long shot, I think that we should probably talk about Baker Mayfield. Right. If we all think the Browns are, are going to be good, you know, Kevin Stefanski, the coach of the year last year, if that offense is going to continue to, you know, take uh, a step forward and uh, the, the Browns are going to be possibly better than they were last year, you know, we have a healthy Odell Beckham. And I think if you kind of look at some of the things Odell Beckham was doing, you know, early in the year, there was just, it, it was a little off, but I think Odell Beckham was still very good. And I think with a full off season, you know, that could continually uh, be better. I think you look at some of the, the big plays they had uh, last year, they had that uh, against Cincinnati. There was that big play down the sideline for the touchdown. Um, you know, I think that can, you know, go forward. So if this Browns offense is going to take you know, another step forward, I think Baker at what I'm looking at now, 33 to one, um, you know, probably uh, going to be a guy that's at least going to get, you know, heavy buzz uh, early in the season. Yeah. I mean, Baker, obviously uh, I had him actually last year as my long shot. Um, he was at the 35, 40 to one. So um, for all, a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned, um, you know, great, great offense, great system, OBJ and all that, um, you know, definitely has a shot this year. It's just, just kind of like Kirk Cousins. They're more, you know, that, that system is more about efficiency than it is volume. And so I, you know, and, and they play an easy schedule this year, supposedly. So, um, you know, is he going to get enough attempts? That's really the, the, the issue here is, is he going to be able to throw enough because they may be ahead. They're going to, they're going to rely on that running game, that two headed monster and that great offensive line. So that's the only um, question mark there, but he obviously fits that. And I mentioned there are 17 quarterbacks that are in that pool and he's definitely there. Um, it's just a matter of, does he get the attempts? Yeah. I don't, I don't have any Baker thoughts, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, we're, we're throwing long shots here at quarterbacks. Uh, I think when I look at it, there's three quarterbacks that kind of stood out to me. The, and it's hard to get like super deep in the weeds when you're starting like 40 to one, we're, we're really throwing some stuff. Uh, the guys that kind of stand out, cause I, like it's such a narrative of driven award to this award, like the story people can tell with these awards. The first guy that kind of stands out is, is Ryan Tannehill, just because like if Derrick Henry were, get, were to get hurt, we know the defense is bad. Like they could be in shootouts. He's been just so hyper-efficient. He's been, you know, in a per drop back, drop back basis, he's been a top five quarterback in the NFL. Uh, but you need a Derrick Henry injury, I think, to make it happen, uh, to, to spin that narrative. But you add Julio. Kyler at 20 to one, 
basically he was like TA said, like with Russell Wilson, he was like a top three guy probably halfway through the year last year before the shoulder injury uh, in the mix to win the award. So to get 20 to one, I feel like is, is a little suppressed on where his performance was through half halfway. And then um, I do think the narrative does set up well for Stafford, even though he's jumped just because I'm doing all this work on team regression and the, and you pair it with the narrative of Stafford taking over golf. It's just, it's really lined up to, to really come together. I mean, the Rams are 11th in offensive yardage gained, but 20th in offensive touchdowns. So they're due regression there and turning drives into touchdowns. Um, they scored 85% of their offensive touchdowns that they did score in the red zone. Only the Dolphins were at a higher rate. Uh, they had just five passing touchdowns outside the red zone. Only the Giants and Bengals had fewer. Stafford has 17 of those passing touchdowns the past two years. And when the Rams did get in the red zone, they wanted no part of having Jared Goff do anything. Uh, they ran the ball 61% of the time in the red zone. That was fourth most. Then they ran 72% of the time inside the 10-yard line. That was behind only the Patriots who ran Cam Newton every time they could. They got there. Uh, inside the 10-yard line, the Rams called 60 run plays to just 23 passes. And inside the five, they ran 32 uh, run plays to just 14 passes. I mean, Stafford's just going to change the dynamic of how they call plays so much. Uh, I do agree, though, that he's jumped, you know, kind of he's been, he's been kind of the chalky play. But they're, this whole thing just sets up for a perfect storm for Stafford um, if he's just adequate to be uh, have really strong numbers and, you know, kind of really walk into the narrative storm, too, because uh, on a team that's going to win 10-plus games. But those are the three guys that kind of stand out uh, to me outside of, you know, the Mahomes you know, guys that are at the front. Yeah. And it's interesting that it's funny. You mentioned the, uh, the Rams and running the football. I mean, that was just, those are just last year's numbers, right? Because I mean, how many times do they give Gurley the ball uh, inside the five? <laughs> it feels like they just would always give him the ball and it was never, uh, they're never allowing golf to, to throw the ball. I mean, was that, is that cause they're, uh, cause of golf, they're just afraid of him making a mistake or just, that's just, you know, based it could on, be just McVay too. We know he's, yeah. you know, he's not, not overly aggressive uh, himself. So it could just be that, too. but definitely they coaxed, I think the most they could get out of golf uh, over this tenure. Yeah. I think that's one of those things with this offense where Matthew Stafford doesn't have to be great in order for this offense to show you know, significant improvement in the passing game. And the, the offense in general doesn't have to be you know great for it to make a significant improvement over what it was last year. I think when you just look at some of you know the explosive play or the lack of explosive plays really uh, that the Rams had uh, last year. And so much, you know, you um, you know, there were, there were some downfield throws that were in there in, you know, 2018, 2019, and they just disappeared in 2020. They, they, they couldn't do it. Um, and, and I think that that really set a, a lower ceiling for what this offense could have been. And I think that's you know, a lot of the reason why uh, the Rams were so aggressive in, in moving on from golf uh, this past off season. Uh, when you look at play from a clean pocket, golf was, um, you know, 11th in the uh, percentage of uh, his plays that had, uh, over one uh, EPA, um, so uh, that uh, SIS calls that a uh, boom percentage. He was eleventh, um, and in that offense uh, from a clean pocket. So that's you know something that you want. But Matthew Stafford in the Detroit offense was seventh. Uh, 
last year. So he had uh, you know a higher degree of difficulty and was already showing some of these you know higher um, you know higher ceiling plays. So you put Stafford you know in uh, the McVay offense and you have some of those more open throws that Stafford just oh, really wasn't getting last year. You know Stafford was you know right around uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had a twenty eight point two percent boom percentage. Uh, in 2020 and Stafford, it was 28.1 uh, from a clean pocket. So uh, when you look at the, the just, uh, the, I just, I just keep thinking about what Stafford can do uh, in an offense that kind of knows what it's doing and a Sean McVay offense with a quarterback that knows what he's doing. Uh, I just think that's kind of set up where neither one of them have to be as good as they could possibly be in order for them to be really good. And I think that's why this, this Stafford kind of hype train has, has picked up so much steam lately. The defense yeah. is probably going to step back for natural causes as well. So we'll see. I mean, they're, they're like, like TA brought up though. It could be just a McVay thing or McVay's uh, just own on aggressiveness kind of gets in the way. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel like we're trying to, I, I, I know I do this where it's like, he's such a trendy kind of guy that I almost um, look for reasons to not like him this year. I mean, I like Stafford in general. I thought it was a you know, good trade for the Rams, obviously. Um, but it just feels like, I'm trying to find reasons that he shouldn't be, you know, a highly, you know, a high contender for this award. Um, I mean, are we sure Stafford, I mean, what are your thoughts, your guys' thoughts on just Stafford in general? Like, where do you rank him among NFL quarterbacks? Is he like, is he top 10 or is he like more, you know, 14 to 16? Because if you think he's more in that 14 to 16 range, you know, is McVay good enough? Is this offense going to be good enough for him to just produce MVP caliber numbers? Um, you know, but if you think he's top 10, he's been kind of hit, hit behind bad offensive lines and bad systems and all that. Um, and this is really his time to shine. Then, yeah, sure. I think he definitely c- can be you know, up there among the favorites. It, I think it really depends on what your evaluation of Stafford is overall. Does Lamar have any shot? Is it, it the no interest in Lamar, like the, the MVP from two years ago at 18 to one interest anyone? Oh, I mentioned that I, he, he would to me, it was right behind Russell Wilson. Like, I, I think he's right there. Um, I, I think th- those are the better from a pure value perspective um, guys who are going to be on great, you know, really good teams and can run the ball and can put up big numbers. I, I, he's right there for me, for sure. Yeah, it's good. It'll be interesting because, you know, like we said, this is a, a narrative award. So is there enough narrative that there was regression last year of him not being a good enough passer that if the passing picks up uh, this next year, is that enough for people to, you know, think that he has, you know, improved enough to be worthy of MVP or is there still going to be some of that, you know, he already won the award. So we're trying to look for the the next thing, even if the numbers and the wins um, are going to, you know, warrant him being in consideration. Uh, I think there's an interesting push and pull there uh, when we look at, you know, what, these voters are going to be looking like and like you know i think we have to think when you know when we're considering these mvp like these are like 50 random you know uh football writers from uh you know who were given the vote from the ap so you know you, you never really know. Like, well, I mean, when we t- kind of talked about, you know, Russell Wilson never got an MVP vote because you only vote for once, but like there was a year where Derek Carr got like six MVP votes. So, you know, we, we just have, you know, no idea of where the, the rationality sometimes uh, of, uh, of some of these voters. So I think that's, you know, one of the other things you have to get in your mindset of the voter too, and not just, you know, thinking about who uh, is worthy or, you know, the, this just, 
statistical, you know, evidence that some of these guys are going to win the awards, which uh, is why, you know, it's such an interesting conversation that we can have uh, in the beginning of July, because uh, we just, we never know. And so uh, on that note, I think we can, you know, probably yeah, end it here. Uh, you know, I think you've given a lot to think about. I think we've made a case for uh, every player in the NFL for every award uh, at this point. So uh, actionable info that you can absolutely take uh, to uh, to your local uh, or national sports book now. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, like we said, the sharp 2020 football uh, preview book uh, available for pre-order should be out uh, early next week. Uh, So the next time we talk to you, uh, that book should be out. Uh, And that's uh, going to be fun. We'll probably uh, be talking about some of the things that uh, we found from the book uh, and a a whole bunch of of that stuff. So uh, we will hopefully be coming to uh, to you with that uh, next week. Um, So yeah, Rich uh, has been doing a whole bunch of, he talked about it a little bit, a bunch of red zone stuff, still going over some, a lot of fantasy things as we head into, um, you know, uh, fantasy season right around the corner. You know, some drafts uh, already started. We were talking about the big Scott Fishbowl, the, the big charity uh, tournament that all three of us are in. Well, we're, we've been deep into drafts for that. So while you get prepared for your fantasy season, make sure you're checking out all of Rich's content on sharpfootballanalysis.com. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can follow TA on on Twitter at CleveTA. You follow me at Dan Pizzuta. I'd like to thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon.